to Titus chapter 2. My ears are working better. When I came in, I had to ask Brian Lennox to turn the sound down. My kids say things to me and don't have to repeat themselves. And I can actually watch television without it blasting throughout the entire house. But I got to tell you, your boy was struggling for a minute because I was wondering if the surgery worked. Because I was sitting there for weeks like, uh-oh, this thing ain't working. It's not working. You ever panic like that where it just hadn't happened yet? But then one day, boom, breakthrough. It happened. I'm like, oh, I can hear. And so I told y'all I'm working on my singing game. I'm working on my singing game. Because once I get, get it right, man, I'm coming out strong. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, um, my family and I, for the past 11 years, we've lived in... Fa- Stop laughing over here. It wasn't that funny. Yeah, I'm talking to you. My family and I, we've lived in the Founders Point subdivision, which is off of Highway 96 West. For the past 11 years, we've been there. Now, once you leave our subdivision and you're on Highway 96, when I make a right turn, and if I start going, I I don't know if it's, I guess that's west. I start heading west, thank you, because I've never known north, south, east, and west. Yeah. If I didn't have that little thing in my car, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> and if I go for about a mile, I'm going to see something. I'm going to see something called the Natchez Trace Parkway Bridge. I'm going to see this huge monstrosity. And as you kind of go over the hill, you see this thing. It almost looks like an alien ship. Almost. It's just, it's big, it's huge. And the first thing I see when I look at it is I don't see the bridge. I see the things that hold the bridge up called undergirding. So when I see the undergirding, I, 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 I am overcome by how huge it is. You see, this bridge was completed in 1993 of October. It was opened on March 22nd, 1994, and it has had millions of people going across that bridge ever since. It is 1,572 feet long. It is 37 feet wide and 140 feet high. The massive concrete arches are made up of 122 box segments, each weighing between 29 and 45 tons apiece. This bridge cost $11.3 million, and it has garnered several awards for its construction. And they chose not to use typical cylinder-style undergirdings, but they used the arches, And the weight of the bridge rests on the top of each arch. So it's an architectural masterpiece. And the only way that bridge stays up is because of what's holding it up. 
Oh, I need you to stay with me this morning. The only way that bridge stays up, and you really don't even see the bridge until you first see what's holding it up. Because what's holding it up is crucial to what happens on top of that bridge. Because there's no way you can go across that bridge on the top if there's nothing underneath holding it up. And if there wasn't something underneath holding it up, it wouldn't give you confidence to ride under the bridge. But because I look at the undergirding, and they're made of concrete uh, several tons, because I see how strong the undergirding is, I don't have any qualms being on top of that bridge or going under that bridge. And so the strength and presence of the undergirding tells me that the bridge is safe. And the undergirding of the local church is the teaching of the church. And if the teaching is solid, if the teaching is biblical, if the teaching is straight, then that means the church is safe. It's a place that you can come into, you can stand in, you can come under, you can come through, you can be here because the teaching undergirds everything. So today let's talk about good teaching. It undergirds everything. Everything. Now, when we've been looking at the book of Titus, we've seen that it's all about going from bad to good. On the island of Crete, there were several people. We, we saw that they were pirates and mercenaries and all kind of people. But the light of God was able to shine in the darkness. People were redeemed and they passed over from death or crossed over from death into life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the marvelous light. People were transformed and being transformed. And as Pastor Darrell preached last week, the church began to evolve and to take form and more structure and more order. And so elders were added to the body of the people who had been redeemed on this island. And so Titus has specific marching orders from his leader, the Apostle Paul, in order to put things in order on the island. And we saw that for a good church from the epistle of Paul to Titus, three things jump right out. And that is, number one, a good church is going to have good leaders. A good church is going to have good teaching. And a good church is going to be about good works. So these three points break up perfectly which, with each chapter of this small letter that Titus received from Paul. Good leaders, good teaching, and good works are the results or the things that create a good church. And all of this is possible because of a good God. A good God who blessed us to be able to have a good church. And so chapter 2 focuses on good teaching. Whereas chapter 1 focused on good leaders. And then probably in July we'll get into chapter 3. And chapter 3 will focus on the church being about good works. But for now, good teaching, chapter 2. Without good teaching, everything else falls down. If there's not good teaching, you can't build your life on anything. If there's not good teaching, your home will be affected. If there's not good teaching, the church will not really be the church because the thing that uh, makes the church unique is that it is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And so elders are to be able to teach, 1 Timothy chapter 3, not necessarily preach. Preaching is proclaiming truth. Teaching is explaining truth. 
And so we need the truth explained to us so that we can know how to shout when it's proclaimed to us. But a lot of times we're doing a lot of shouting because of preaching, but we don't really have an understanding of what we're shouting about. But when we know, when we have an understanding, a grasp of content, then that not only affects our praise, but above all, it affects how we live our lives, how we parent, how we serve as husbands and wives and children and students, even how this nation should function. When there is good teaching, things are able to be stabilized. But when there is bad teaching, things are unstable and nothing can be supported. You know, when Jesus called us to make disciples, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. So we're all to teach. Now, you can't say, man, I'm not called to preach, but you are called to teach and you are to teach others as you are being taught. When Paul tells us in Ephesians six to put on the full armor of God. And he's naming all the different pieces, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the gospel shoes of peace, the belt of truth. All of those things technically are a picture of Jesus Christ. So when you put on the armor, you are putting on Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. It's a conscious decision, as Pastor Darrell was praying, to say, I choose today to be clothed in Christ. Technically and spiritually, I'm already clothed in him. I'm already clothed in his righteousness and in his power and in his authority. But I am reckoning it to be so today. I choose today to put on the armor, to put on Christ today. I'm going out in his authority and not in my own. And when you look at the belt of truth, it's interesting how truth is called a belt. Because the belt is what stabilizes your whole outfit. If you don't have a belt, your pants will fall down. It is not a fashion statement to let folks see your drawers and your behind. You need a belt on. Can the church say amen? <laughs> oh, man. See, when I see young boys with their behind showing, that is just permission for me to kick them in their behind. Yes. And that's why they love us at JT Moore. I saw Bernard Pollard. Oh, boy, he grabbed a boy one day who had his no belt on, drawers behind showing. Mm, 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 mm. I was so glad that he was in there to talk to that young man like that because, boy, you need a stabilizer on your outfit called a belt. And we need a stabilizer in our lives called truth, teaching of truth. Because when we don't have truth, man, we are tossed around by every wind of doctrine that's out here. There's so many voices in the wind. And in these days, there are doctrines that come forth from demons. And if we don't know what we have, if we haven't been taught well, we're susceptible and vulnerable to be sucked in. Like when those two guys from the Church of Jesus Christ knocked on my door on Tuesday night right before tip-off of the Cavaliers game. Y'all coming at the wrong time. And they start talking all that stuff and they try to sound like they're with Jesus because they keep using his name. But you know that Jesus said many false Christs are going to come in the last days. So just because someone says the name of Jesus don't mean they're down with Jesus. So you've got to be able to dig deeper. But that wasn't a time for me to dig deeper with them dudes. It was time for me to go. <laughs> My kids were like, gee, dad, you let him off the hook. You know, this was not the time. <laughs> Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. 
Titus chapter 2. But as for you, Paul is saying to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. But as for you, which kind of, you know, when you see the contrast, the conjunction there, but it calls us back to what we call chapter 1. Because when Paul wrote this letter, there weren't any chapter breaks. It was just one letter. And so when you think about chapter 1, how did he close chapter 1? He closed chapter 1 by talking about the insubordinate teachers, both Jewish people and uh, Gentile Cretans, who were creeping into homes and teaching people things that they should not have taught them. And so Paul is saying that there is a distinct difference between you, Titus, and the men that you are empowering to lead these house churches and the general church on the island of Crete. But as for you, unlike them, as for you, you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine because they are not. They are speaking fables. I mean, well, I'm not even going to chase that one right now. They are speaking commandments of men. And so don't be like them. You teach sound doctrine. You teach the holy scriptures. Now, the word sound in Titus chapter 2 verse 1 is a Greek word called hygienic. It's where we get the word hygiene from. I couldn't even pronounce it in the Greek. But it's a word that sounds like hygiene in the English language. And, And what it means in the Greek is that it means sound. When you see that word It means to be healthy, to be balanced, Um, because when you are hygienic, you are healthy, you are balanced, you are well, you are sound. Uh, You know, the four food groups, or however many there are, four or five of them, you know, bread, cereals, vegetables, grains, I don't know. You suppose you got a healthy diet, you know, you got a little bit of all of it, right? And so your teaching is to be healthy and balanced because some people want to jump on poultry or jump on this and just stay over here. But if you only stay over here, you're not going to be healthy. Some people want to jump only to the Old Testament or to certain books of the Bible that they're really comfortable with or certain doctrines that they like. And the whole counsel of the word of God is what we need. And we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And the Bible is the authority and not our biases and our preferences. So we have to have sound teaching, balanced, healthy, stable teaching from the word of God. So sound doctrine or healthy doctrine is to undergird the local church. Can I get an amen on that? As for you. Speak things which are proper for sound or healthy, balanced, stable doctrine. And because what you believe dictates how you live. What you believe dictates how you live. And everybody is under some kind of teaching today. Whether it is the philosophy of the world, the commandments of men, or the truth of the word of God. We're either submitting to God or we're submitting to philosophies of the world. We're either looking to the Bible as our standard for living or we're looking to some other book or some other way. But you best believe we are going to follow something in somebody because that's how God created us. He created us to follow him and submit to him. But because of the fall, we are prone to follow any and everything else, including ourselves, which is a dead end trip. But. The the Bible lets us know, as Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify the disciples with truth. The word of God is truth. 
So let God be true and every other man out here a liar. So the evidence of sound doctrine is sound living. So dig it. He wants him to teach sound doctrine. And what we're going to see in the verses that follow, it's really about sound living. Because what good is having Bible knowledge if there's no application? Aren't you tired of talking to people who are puffed up on knowledge and who know all the doctrines? But when you look at their lives, man, uh, he treats his wife real you know, crazy. The wife is this and the kids are that. Or the big Bible professor knows all this stuff. But he's rude and he's mean. He's nasty. Where's the fruit of the spirit called love? Where's humility? What good is knowledge if you don't do anything with it? You can go on the street right now and you can do some soul winning out on the street and we should do more. Have you ever noticed, though, that when you talk to a drunkard, a drunkard can start quoting a whole lot of scripture to you? Because what good is knowing the word if you don't apply it? You're just a smart fool. But God can take people who know just a little bit of truth and apply what you know. And you're the wisest person in the room because wisdom is putting knowledge into practice. It's skilled living. So, Lord, I'm going to take what little bit I know and apply it before I even try to get more knowledge. What good is knowledge if it's not applied? And so when he begins to talk about sound doctrine to that church, he's not going to hit them with all this stuff that theologians like to debate and get into. There's a time for that, to talk about the hypostatic union and eschatology and all. There's a time for that. But right now, I need you to give me something to help me live as a single parent. I need you to give me something to help me live. Elder Clifton is talking about giving. I don't know if I can trust you. Can you give me a basic, practical, good word to help me right now with my health, to help me with my mind? I'm battling with depression or to help me with worship because when I come to worship and I don't know how to handle heaviness or I am exalting circumstances, I need a word from the pastor, from the teacher, from my disciple, from my father, from my mother, my own time with God because I have an anointing from God that can teach me stuff that Nobody else can teach me. So I'm not going to bypass my own time with God just to hear from a preacher, a pastor, a leader, a writer in a book, somebody on television. But God, talk to me right now. Teach me, Lord. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He will lead you in all truth. Let him lead you. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Teach me something today from your word. So let's see what he has to say to these folks. It says in verse 2, He says, this is what you teach. Teach the older men to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The word of God gets blasphemed when we don't put into practice what we say we believe. So in verse 6, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Verse 7, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So teach the people, and those are the things you're to teach. Now, that is not an exhaustive list 
Uh, but that was something that was needed for that particular people group that also transcends time because there's nothing new under the sun. It's all common to man. So what Paul had to say to Titus to tell the people in Crete is the same message we need to hear today. And so when there is good teaching that undergirds the church, ah, you're going to have authority represented. Good teaching Mm-hmm. It undergirds and authority will be clear. The authority of God. Because you'll teach that this is God's church and not man's church. I don't care. You know, back in the day when I grew up in church, uh, families would lay hold to a church because maybe they helped found the church or they bought some pews for the church, some stained glass windows with their family's name on it. Uh, but that was not their church. They were just putting their name on Jesus's church. And so the church is his, the authority of God. It is his church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, not your church. This is my church. And these are my people. And then the authority of God's word in the church. Yes, uh, Psalm 138 says that God has magnified his word above his name. So God's word, he is so serious about his word And so the church needs to recognize the authority that's in the word because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will endure always. People come, people go, but the word of the Lord, not one jot, not one tittle, will pass away until all is fulfilled. We don't worship the Bible, but we recognize worship of God cannot happen without the Bible. And so I thank God that I get to know who I am worshiping as best I can, looking through a glass dimly. But one day I'm going to know fully as I'm fully known. Until then, I am pressing on. I am, I am seeking. I am pressing upward to the Lord. And so it's his word that's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the authority of God through his word. And then there's the authority of God's leaders There was Paul who was sent forth from Jesus to establish churches. Then there was Titus who was sent forth from Paul to put things in order on that island. Then Titus was to select elders on that island and give them authority in the local church. So whenever God's at work, a good uh, underpinning is that you will see authority, proper authority. The authority of God, the authority of his word, and even the authority of his leaders. And when we operate under proper authority, there is safety and productivity. When we operate outside of proper authority, there is danger and a lack of productivity. But today we have people who want to redefine how the kingdom of God works, and they want to be a church without coming under authority. The authority of God, the authority of God's word, and the authority of God's leaders. They just don't they want to do their own thing, which means that they are the authority. But that's not what the Lord saved you for. That's why his name is Lord, which means he is master and you are not. And when he is master, you come under what he says, which is him, his word, his church, and his servant leaders in the church. So are you under authority today? Are you under authority? Do you have a pastor? And does that pastor know that you say that he is your pastor? You've got to make it intentional at some point because we can't watch for souls unless you give us permission to do so. And so by doing that in a new members process, when you say I am submitting to God, what he is doing in this church and the leaders in this church, you have to do that. And if not this church somewhere, you've got to be under authority for your own spiritual protection. 
because the wolf is trying to find sheep not connected to a sheepfold with under shepherds. Oh, he gobbles up those who drift. And you could be a part of a church but not be active in the church and drift as if you're not a member of a church. So I think this is calling all of us, man, come on, we, we got to come back under authority because we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But in, in this church, there was also diversity. Oh, I see diversity all through the Bible. When I read it, I, mean, I just see diversity. Pastor, how do you see diversity in this church? Well, let's see here. There was gender and age diversity because you had older men and older women. Now, look at the great wisdom that's in the Bible. You do not call these people old men and old women. You call them older men and older women because older folk can still smack the taste out of your mouth if you're a little bit disrespectful. They're the older folk. And a good church, a healthy church is going to have diversity of age and, of course, gender because not only do you have the older men and the older women, you've got younger men and younger women. So there's age and gender diversity. Now, because it's hot, I'm at least going to say it. What you don't have is any kind of specific word to the homosexual community. I just had to say that, okay? Because these are the times we live in where we're trying to add, as far as culture, we're trying to uh, add upon uh, the original paradigm and blueprint that God set forth in the beginning. And so we're adding other people groups in transgender now. And if you don't speak and include transgender people, then all of a sudden now you are, you know, phobic, you're full of hate. But again, these are the times we're living in where people are looking for teachers to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. But we're going to say what the Bible says, irregardless of what man says. And there is no, we love transgender people. We love homosexual people. I have homosexual people in my family. We we love them. We love them with truth. When conversations come up, when God leads us, but above all, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But I love you, but I love God more, and I'm not going to change his word to appease you. And the date uh, Bruce Jenner can have a period. Let, let me take that back. The day he can have PMS. You can say you changed. But God made you a man. You can emasculate yourself. But you still will not have the fallopian tubes and ovarians and all that. Whatever going on all up in there. You ain't got all that. You're not a woman. You can get constructive surgery on your face and throw a wig on your head and put a dress on. You're still a man. And we're not going to create a subculture to make you feel better. (sighs) Can y'all handle that? Y'all cool with that? But that's where it's going. Get ready for persecution. For the word. For the word. So as you're reading the blogs, don't forget to read the word. As they're tearing down the Bible, they've always tore down the Bible. Satan's first question was, did God really say? So don't get sucked into it because they're questioning the authenticity of the Bible. Because what they're doing is they're questioning the authority of the Bible. 
Don't get sucked in. We won't. Not at this church. But they also had some other kinds of diversity, y'all. They had free and slave folks. Because he's going to write to the slaves. Now, I will not chase this rabbit. But slavery then was not what happened with the transatlantic slave trade. And how the Bible was misinterpreted to make African descendants be subject to European descendants through the institution of slavery. It's not the same kind of slavery. There was more dignity attached to Roman slavery than what happened here in Europe and in America. Again, I ain't got time to chase that. But there is a word that he gives. There are slaves present and there are free people present. And guess what? They're in the same church. People are one, but they're not the same. The church is supposed to be heaven on earth. But then you also had Jews and Gentiles. There was racial diversity there. So not only was there economic and social diversity between those who were free and those who were slave, there were Jews and Gentiles. There was racial diversity. The church at Crete reflected its community. Churches are to reflect their community. If your community is homogeneous, there's a strong chance your church is going to be homogeneous. But if the community is diverse, should not the church be diverse? Because should not the church be reaching out to its community? Hmm. Let's move on. Specificity. Say that five times fast. Each group of people needed a specific word. The men, the women, the older men, the young, everybody needed a specific word. The slaves needed a word. And although we sit under general teaching, we still need specific words. And so that's why we have men's ministry and women's ministry and ministry to singles, ministry to children, ministry to teens. Those who went to barefoot camp last week, there were specific things they needed to hear because of their age demographic and because of what they face as far as their people group. And Paul set it up. He says, the older men, I need these guys to be sober. That means to be wise, to be reverent, to be respectful, to be temperate, which means to be under control. Don't be out of control like the other people on the island of Crete that don't know God. I need you guys to be sound in faith. There it is. Be strengthening your faith. I need you guys to have love and patience. So there was a specific word. And then the older women had a specific word. He said, likewise, listen here, older ladies, I need you to be reverent in your behavior. Hmm, I don't know if there's anything more uh, embarrassing than seeing an older woman not be reverent in her behavior, trying to do all the stuff that young people do in certain parts of the culture. That just doesn't look right when you see granny trying to, you know. That don't look right. Granny at the club these days, that just don't look right. Not slanderers. Child, let me tell you. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. So there was more than one teacher in the church, which was Titus. He was the senior leader. Then there were the elders. But there was also a place for women to teach. So don't believe that women don't believe that stuff when people say women can't teach. No, women have to teach good things, especially good things, as it says, to the younger women in verse four. The younger women teach them how to love their husbands. Nowhere in the Bible are women commanded to love their husbands. Men are commanded to love their wives, Ephesians five. 
but women are still to love their husbands. And sometimes an older woman has to sit down with a younger woman because that younger woman's husband don't want to do right. So she's got to tell the younger woman what she went through with her older man when they were having trouble. It's called the church. Man, I got loud on that part, didn't I? You don't always have to come see the pastor when you need to learn how to love your husband. It's going to go into the next point about community. You got to be close enough to other folk to let them in and teach them. Because the older ladies, we've got something. The ladies have something to learn from you. We all have something to learn. Teach them how to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. There's nothing wrong with being a homemaker. It doesn't mean that you can't have a job. That's that old Flintstone prehistoric kind of teaching. You stay in the house. You get clubbed upside the head. No. It's just talking about priorities. You don't forsake home to go out into the world. As you go out to the world, you make sure home is straight. Same thing for hubby. You don't just go out and go kill it and bring it back and you don't have any responsibility at home. No, you still have to raise your children in fear and admonition of the Lord. You still have to be the house band, the husband. The house bands around you as the leader. So you have to be present at home. You'll hear more about that next week for Father's Day. I shouldn't have said that. Now the brothers ain't going to come to church. Be obedient to your own husband. Wow. Sometimes you need an older lady to talk to you about that. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Then the young men need a word. Man, y'all be sober-minded. And then the slaves needed a word. They need to be told, man, be obedient to your own master. To be well-pleasing in all things. Not answering back. Not pilfering. But showing all good and fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So he had a specific word for each specific group. The older men, the older women, the young women, the young men, and the slaves. Which leads to integrity. This church also had integrity. Titus was to live his life with integrity and handle the word with integrity. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, in all things, showing yourself, this is Titus, to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent, because pastors have opponents, they may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you because your speech is sound and it is matched by sound living, which goes back to the blamelessness of chapter one. So you walk it and you talk it. So Titus was to have this kind of integrity. Now, I don't have a lot of time to chase this, but go back to chapter 2, verse, let's see here, uh, 4. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Well, let me stop and pause. Let me say this real quick, because time is escaping me. Titus and the elders were not to have direct ministerial contact with the young women in the church. Can I just let it sit for a second? Teach the older men, the older women, the younger men, and the slaves, but let the older women spend one-on-one personal time with the younger women. Why does he do that? Because he's trying to keep the pastor above reproach. You don't have to meet with the young ladies. Let the ladies meet with the ladies. And when you do meet with the ladies in 2015, how about you have another person in the room or you keep your door open? Oh, pastor. Oh, pastor. It's good wisdom. It's not a law. 
But there's good wisdom here. So, Pastor, keep your hands off of the young ladies in the church. Can my wife say amen? 1 Timothy 5.2, Paul tells Timothy, um, in terms of the younger women, treat them like your sisters with absolute purity. So, you know, I'm not going to try to grope my biological sister because that's sick. So there's no need to grope the women in the church. And we know that there are pastors who do that. Somebody once said, man, Pastor, it seemed like whenever my parents visit, you're talking about sex in the pulpit. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but I try to just do what the text says. But when we're silent about it, again, we're, we're, we're giving it a breeding ground in darkness. But when we bring this kind of stuff to the light, we're diffusing it piece by piece. We're dismantling strongholds, and it keeps us all accountable. My God, okay, all right, somebody said move on, Pastor. Okay, I'm going to move on because then there's community. Although there was great diversity, you get the sense in this church there was great community. Um, and here's how you know if a church is your community or if it's just your country club. Because the church can either be your community or country club. Country club, you know, you come every now and then, you know, when you get the urge to go play some golf and, you know, you, you go to the country club. But when you go to church and it's your community, Man, you're not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. You've got to be there because when you are a community, you do everything together. Now, again, this is an individualistic society. Uh, We're high in information, but we're low in community. We got a thousand friends on Facebook, but don't nobody really know us and we don't really know nobody. And so we get used to just kind of keeping it that way. But the Bible calls for us to have community or common unity. And when you have community, you do everything together like you worship together. It's not about these folk up on the stage doing worship for us. We are worshiping with them. They are the string artisans and the gifted leaders, but we are worshiping with them. They don't have to come in here and prime the pump to get us going all the time because it's a privilege for all of us to worship God together. We are truly a community when we stop looking around seeing who's lifting hands and who's not lifting hands. When we stop saying, I don't like the song they're singing this week. Why they got to do contemporary? Why they got to do gospel this week? No, a family is going to worship together. Just like when the food comes, you can't say, I don't like eating that. You better eat what mama put in front of you. Worship. We worship together. We pray together. Thank you, Pastor Darrell, for leading us in prayer. We serve together. We give together. It's just, and, and if you got a mite, you give a mite. Don't sit here and be a spiritual hobo. That's an 80s term. Don't be a bum and just sit here and let other people feed you. No, man, contribute, even if it's a mic. We give, we're a community. Nobody's slacking. We walk together. We learn together. We reach out together. We stand together. We confess our faults together. We repent together. We grieve together. We rejoice together. That's when Strong Tower becomes a community. But right now, that's our weakness. We're not a community yet. 
And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think some of it has to do with for 18 years, we were a church that met on weekends. That was pretty much how we did it. Meet on the weekend, meet on the weekend. Church was uh, over here at the factory or at the Y or over here, you know. And then offices were over there and midweek was over there. And so for 18 years, we never got a chance to really become stabilized. Sometimes we have small groups. Sometimes we don't have small groups. And so we just got used to being an event church. Where even now, coming on Sundays is not even strong. And, oh, we don't want to drive and all that. But when it's your family, you come. Because not only do you want to see God, you want to see one another. And when somebody's been missing for a while, it's not just up to the leaders to call. You call. But here's what we're working on right now. We're not going to release it until it's ready. And that is some intentional ways to build community at Strong Tower. And it happens best through small groups. That's how people really get to know you and you get to know people. So be on the lookout in the fall for a small group ministry that is going to begin at Strong Tower Bible Church. And it will be consistent. Because sometimes you'll want to go where everybody knows your name. And you're always glad you came. You want to be where people, I don't know the rest of it, but uh, it's easy to walk away. Listen to this. It's easy to walk away from church, but it's difficult to walk away from community. And we've had so many walk away from this church because there hasn't been strong enough community in the church. But when it's an event church or country club church, nobody really misses you. But no, no, we, we, we've got to become a community that leads to accountability. Where there is community, there will be loving accountability. Uh, we all need accountability. We need to hold people accountable, and we need to be held accountable. You need somebody who knows all your junk and still loves you, and you need to know somebody's junk and still love them. That's the walk that happens in community. So as I take my seat, as, as the worship folks, come on back up. Y'all come on. We're going to sing a piece of one of those songs y'all sang. In a good church, good teaching undergirds everything. The authority, the diversity, the specificity, the integrity, the community, the accountability, everything goes back to good teaching. If there's not good teaching, these things are not going to happen, or at least there won't be any strength in the church. But when there's good teaching, it's going to hold everything up. Even when we're dealing with diverse issues and it gets a little bit tough because we're looking at things through our cultural lenses and we have emotions and feelings and, and biases and backgrounds. But at the end of the day, when the smoke settles, we know that we can agree to disagree and we agree on the most important thing, which is Jesus saves so the church is to be the place where diversity is supposed to happen and specific ministries, not only to these people groups, but how about to handicapped people? How about to homeless people, man? The church, because the Bible addresses everything. So we can teach on it all and we can reach anyone, anywhere. But in a good church, good teaching has to be the thing that undergirds it. Now, I may be biased and I know that I am, but I believe Strong Tower Bible Church is a good church amen amen i believe it's a good church now if you are already an official member of strong tower bible church you've gone through the class 
you received the right hand of fellowship. And for some of you, man, that was almost 20 years ago. Because some of you have been hanging with us that long. Maybe it was five years ago, five weeks ago, whatever. If you are an official member of this particular church, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. You're a member of this church. Amen. May put your hands down. If you want to be a member of this church, you want to be a member. Now, if it's not this church, I hope you find a church soon because, again, you got to be under covering. But maybe it's this church. If that's you, my urshers are ready. I am not going to ask you to walk an aisle, but I am going to ask you to stand. If you want to be a part of this church, you want to make it official. You may have been coming for two years, but you want to make it official. Come on, stand up, stand up. You want to make it official. Hit them all. Remain standing. Anybody upstairs? Got to be a part of a good church. Got some folk upstairs. Remain standing. Let's make it official. Got to have it, right? You have a card here that says, Pastor Chris, I am interested in joining Strong Tower Bible Church! Exclamation point, because you should get excited, right? Please notify me about the next pre-members class. And it has your name, your phone, email, and we will let you know when the next class is. And if you happen to work on that particular day, we're doing the class. Normally we do them on Sundays. But if for some reason you can't make it, we will come to you. You can come to the office. We'll condense it. Let's get this thing settled. Now, will everybody stand to their feet? Come on. Only reason that we're a good church is because we serve a good God. Can somebody say amen? He calls us to be his own. He didn't have to. We were far away, but he brought us near through the blood of Jesus. That's the good news. So worship team, would you give us a refrain to encourage our hearts? And then my lovely wife, who's covered in red today because of the blood of Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your worship over there, baby. But, but you're just so good looking. From, from the crown of your head down to the soles of your feet, you're covered with the blood. Oh, Jesus. That's my woman. Anton, can you make it for two weeks? Praise the Lord. I caught the bass player off guard. Amen. 